Welcome to the Third Row Tesla podcast. My name is Safian Fraval. Today we have our Third Row crew and we have a couple of guests today. So I'm, I'm really excited to introduce, introduce them to you. So we have Omar Kazi, Tesla Truth. Boom. Thank you, Omar. And we got Galileo Russell from Hyperchange. Hello. Hey, man. And we got Kristen, K10. Hi. Hi. And then we've got two guests today. So let's start with our first guest, Ben from Unplugged Performance. Hey, Ben. Hey. Hi. Good to see you. And then we've got the legend, Randy Popst. How you doing, Randy? <laughs> Happy to be here. Thanks, everybody, for uh, setting this up. I didn't realize there'd be such a crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we love having these discussions. So and we haven't actually introduced everybody to each other. So why don't we do that now? So, uh, yeah, I mean, you've seen everybody's name. So why, why doesn't everyone go around and uh, tell us a little bit about their Tesla, you know, what Tesla they own or what Tesla they've driven. So start with you, uh, Omar. Well, <clears throat> yeah, everybody knows me. I'm Omar who watches the show. Uh, I have a black Model 3. Long range rear wheel drive. I live in New York City, so unfortunately I don't have a Tesla, but I do have five mini uh, Matchbox Cybertrucks on reservation. So <laughs> those will fit in my apartment. Great. Wait, wait, you got them on reservation because they sold out like in like five minutes? Or like I pre-ordered them. <laughs> oh, nice. oh, yeah. Yeah, I got five of them. So I'm gonna, I might resell a couple if you're lucky. I think that that toy Cybertruck probably has a bigger reservation list than some of the other EVs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Thank you. Uh, Kristen? Um, I, the first vehicle that I drove, drove was um, the Tesla X, but I have the black long-range rear-wheel drive, and I've also driven an S, and um, Safian let me drive his performance. That was fun. Well, we got stories about letting people drive my car, so <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, Ben, you're, you, I'm sure you've had a lot of experience with Teslas, right? Yeah, it's kind of a hard question to answer. I daily drive a Model 3, a uh, really early VIN car, so it was a long range rear drive. Uh, so I still have that and I love it, but you know, over the course of all my stuff with Tesla, I've kind of had them all and driven a variety of things and a lot of customer cars. So uh, a lot of driving experience, which is a lot of fun. Very cool, thank you. And then Randy, the legend. The legend, uh, which comes from Motor Trend. I've done a lot of car testing with Motor Trend, including several Tesla models, and almost all on the track. I'm the track guy. So I attempted to do a Model S hot lap, and then I've hot lapped Model 3s in a couple different versions, and I've driven your car software. Was I only riding in it? <laughs> you were driving it and riding it. It was memorable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's awesome. Yeah, so we thought we'd talk about Tesla performance today, especially uh, you know, some track-related stuff. We had track mode V2 just roll out to some people. I haven't gotten it yet. I'm extremely excited about it. But, yeah, I mean, the reason we have Randy on here today is uh, a lot of people don't even realize that Randy was kind of like the father of track mode. He went a, a, around the track with the engineers, with Tesla engineers, and helped fine-tune uh, the performance track mode for, for the Performance Model 3. So, I mean, this is, this is just intriguing to me. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, Randy, have you ever experienced that before with a, a car, like going actually on the fly, making adjustments and changing the, the way the car felt through the turn? I mean, it seems like something out of Fast and the Furious. 
Well, it's virtually impossible in normal cars, although some have electronically adjustable shocks now. But in the case of the Tesla, the engineer just sat next to me with a laptop, and it really was like the scene in the Fast and Furious, <laughs> or Fast and Furious 2, which is yeah. a movie I actually worked on. And wow. Really? Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> and, and Paul Walker was a close personal friend of mine. Very wow. sad what happened to him yeah. as a passenger. More on that later, Sof. Yeah, and we actually have a similar history on that as well. I was involved yeah. with the Fast and the Furious, the first one, the third one, and the fourth one. And then I shared a oh, garage wow. with Paul and Roger with my wow, cars. Wow. And uh, yeah, Roger was a customer of mine a while ago, and we all shared a garage before that accident happened. But uh, Wow, no kidding. He was a friend of mine, uh, yeah. too. Roger was a friend of mine. And really? He, I remember going to, yeah, I used to work around the corner from the shop there um, oh, in, wow. in Santa Clarita. And I went round. I remember I, I beat everybody go-karting one time. That's how I became friends with them. I was so fast on the, on the go-kart track. Um, and, and they couldn't believe it. Those guys legit drivers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally, man. So they, they were like kind of mad, but also kind of respectful as well. So, Ben, uh, you guys are headquartered down in Hawthorne right next to like SpaceX and the Tesla Design Center, right? Live and direct from Hawthorne right now. Absolutely. Yeah, outside my window is SpaceX and Tesla is about a four-minute walk from here to the design studio, yeah. So, so how did that all get started? Just like performance modifications for Teslas. I mean, I think I read a little bit about it, but maybe it'd be good to talk. Totally. So um, I started my journey, oddly enough, I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but I started my journey right <laughs> around the time of the filming of the first Fast and the Furious movie. Uh, I was 20 years old and I started a company called Bulletproof Automotive at the time wow. out of my college dorm in Arizona. And I took uh, a week off of classes to film the movie, which back then was called Redline. Uh, and I was basically an extra on that and then ended up leaving Arizona State University. Uh, did a couple of weeks of filming. I was out at the airport in San Bernardino for the race wars scenes and ended up realizing that I wanted to run Bulletproof as a career and not just as kind of like a side hustle to pay for brake pads and tires at the racetrack. So that led me to California back in 2000. 20 years later, I'm doing all this Tesla stuff. And in the time in between, what happened was um, we basically bought an office that was right next to, is right next to Tesla and SpaceX. And at the time, when we started Unplugged, it was 2013, we were doing a lot of Nissan GTR high power builds. And we met some of our neighbors uh, at the design studio. Actually, they knocked on our door one day, probably because we were making so much noise with all these thousand horsepower GTRs. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they gave us a couple kind words of encouragement and they're like, can you keep it down, please? Maybe get an electric car. It's a lot quieter. <laughs> it's, I was just thinking that as I rolled in this morning, you know, uh, we use Jack Northrup as kind of an unofficial low speed test. I'm not going to get myself in jail for this conversation, but um, <laughs> we use Jack Northrup basically to, to bed in brake pads and to do certain things for customer cars. So now when we do it, no one hears us. But back then it was all, you know, massive GTR builds. Uh, so anyway, we met the people at Tesla uh, and um, bought a Model S and much like everyone here, the realization was that the car was just almost too good. It was scary good. Um, and uh, I was fortunate just to have the background of being in the industry and knowing about cartooning and having that as a career to see it from that scope. And I think most people back then saw it from the scope of uh, you know, Teslas are uh, great for the environment. Teslas are great for technology. You know, a lot of people who are moving from Priuses to Teslas 
but there wasn't the enthusiast edge at that point that was obvious. Um, but I drove the car and the takeaways that I had in the first night of driving it were basically uh, that all gasoline engine cars are going to be extinct. And I didn't come at it from the scenario of price point or the scenario of you know all the new stuff, all the autopilot stuff and all the tech. Now there's, a, now there's an infinite number of reasons. I came at it from the same way that probably Randy thinks which is from uh, building track cars. And there was a couple things that in the industry, everyone's always aspiring to do better. One of them is transmissions. We'd see this evolution from manual transmissions and then automatic. And then, you know, uh, eventually it went down to like uh, dual clutch uh, DSG transmissions and trying to basically increase the speed of shifting from one gear to another. And I drove the Tesla and there's no shifting. There's, there's no downside for that. It's instantaneous because there's only one gear. And the same thing on the motor side, you know, as an enthusiast, you'd always have heated debates of what's better, uh, NA or naturally aspirated versus turbo versus supercharger. And people will talk about throttle response and torque curves. And when I drove the Tesla, this is instantly a dead conversation because you can't have more torque than instant. So from a practical standpoint, yeah, the car is not faster than a GTR on the track back then. But when you drive it on the street, it's faster than a Bugatti, even back in 2013, because any other car, when you want to do something, the car has to drop down a couple gears in the transmission. Uh, you know, the RPMs have to build, then you hit peak power and then you go. But at this point, the Tesla is already there. So to me, it was just obvious that you can't beat electric uh, because of those variables. And I basically bet my career on it and bet our business on it. And we kind of became the first company to to modify teslas back then it was just you know uh vinyl wraps and stereos um but we you know brought out a car to uh old tmc connect event back in 2014 uh and started doing suspension tuning brake tuning aerodynamics tuning and then you know over time it's evolved into these tesla corsa events and all the stuff that we can dive into more today but uh i've been a, a big believer for a long time in it and the hardest part for me in the beginning was just convincing people what I already knew to be true. Uh, so like we'd go to SEMA, which is an industry trade show, and we'd be the only Tesla there in 2014. And everyone would be like, what are you doing? Like, where's your GTRs? Why are you bringing a Tesla? Like, this is like so foreign to everyone there. Uh, and that's been the journey, like much like you guys do, you know, in each of your fields to educate people about Tesla and about the mission. Uh, I wanted to educate car enthusiasts that electric cars were fun, they're cool. You can make them exciting. They're fast on track. And uh, yeah, we've been at that mission every year since, just developing products to make the cars better. So that's amazing. You you booked that space in Hawthorne without ever, you know, knowing that Tesla was there. It was just kind of a happy accident. Yeah, yeah. So we, we actually rented a space uh, before this on the airport runway at the airport. So the business park we have here is basically joined by Hawthorne Airport. And we were renting there and we wanted to buy a building um, and they wouldn't sell to us at the airport because you have to be an aviation company. So we found a, a, a unit in the business park, which now is dominated by Tesla, uh, by SpaceX, I mean. But back then it was just kind of design studio, the main SpaceX building, and that was it. Um, so we fell into it. Uh, you know, granted, Tesla was on my radar before that. I, I first bought the stock at $28 a share and I was interested in the company long before I was tuning the cars, but I wasn't interested in the company as a car enthusiast. I was interested in the company as, uh, you know, uh, Elon's leadership and the technology advantage and the growth prospects and what it would do for the environment. 
Uh, I never thought about it in terms of a tuning car until I got one. But then from there, it was very fast for that to realize. It was literally the next day I came in the office and said, things are changing. Here's where we're going. Get ready. And uh, things have changed quite a lot. So, so was, was it then that, I mean, did you seek out Randy or did Randy seek out you? I mean, I'm just, how did you guys get together? Yeah. Um, one of the good things about being in this world for a while is... I know a lot of really awesome people and I also know who I want to bring in on projects. And it's funny when I, I, I tapped Randy cause I knew he's best driver in the world, uh, or at least in that ranking. Um, and, uh, he's when I, in, well. in, in Randy, you'll, you'll remember this when, when I reached out to you, uh, to collaborate with us and to test some of our parts on track and come out to Corsa. Uh, I think I showed you a picture funny enough of my college dorm room wall where I have one of your race cars on the wall and it was, it's kind of all full circle, but you know, the, the nature of being in the industry, you kind of know who are the right drivers, who are the right engineers, who are the right parts manufacturers. And my viewpoint is always about building the best team. Uh, I don't claim to be an expert at anything, but one thing I am good at is identifying talent and bringing talent into the mix. So whenever we develop anything for our business, whether it's aerodynamics or brakes or suspension, or exterior or interior, we assemble an all-star team. And of course, if you're gonna pick an all-star driver, uh, you'd be insane not to call up Randy Popes and say, hey, let's do something. And that's how it went down. So Randy, is that is that how it went down for you? Do you remember uh, events transpired exactly the same way? Well, I have been lucky enough to never know what's gonna happen when I pick up the phone. and. You know how you might screen calls and you get a call you don't know, so you just reject it. And robocalls are worse than ever, but I almost always answer, except from my old home uh, area code, because I never know who's going to be on the other line. And this guy calls me up talking about Teslas, and I'd had some good experiences with them, it was, uh, but frustrating when it came to track. But like you, Ben, I saw the potential, the, the low center of gravity, the incredible torque, the shiftless transmission. That's something that frustrates the heck out of me in gas-powered cars or petroleum-powered cars. That I'm in traffic, I see a hole, I want to hit it, I put my foot down, and you slow down. Because the first thing it does is have to downshift. So it goes, uh, 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 then you go, well, two Teslas have already hit that hole. So it was really interesting to be in, invited out to Tesla Corsa and uh, track Teslas. I don't even remember, this must have been after of the performance model. But to that point, the track mode, um, and this, this is an interesting segue to V2. Uh, when we started Tesla Corsa, I mean, first of all, the goal of Tesla Corsa for, as an organization is to basically showcase that the cars are fast on track. And when we began it, it was in some ways on a personal level and interest of mine to change the narrative from just all these online videos of drag racing and street racing and to show that the car is actually a well-handling dynamic car that can be competitive. But when we started the first Tesla Corsa event, I think it was almost all Model S's. I think the Model 3 either hadn't come out or had just come out. Um, but what was interesting is you can see the evolution of the cars and the drivers before track mode one and after track mode one. It was a massive difference. And I forget if it was Tesla Corsa two or three when track mode first was offered, but 
Um, you know, there, there's so many uh, nannies in the car as far as limitation to being able to put power down with, with uh, traction control. And once they enabled the amazing software that Randy helped uh, calibrate with Tesla, uh, you would see an instant change in lap times and how the car behaves on track. And uh, it kills me that we just finished, uh, what was it, Tesla Corsa 8, I think Eight. it was, last weekend. Yeah. And then they, they dropped the track mode V2 like two yeah. days after. <laughs> so after. I'm really itching to go back out there because it's the only car in the world where you can get an update like that and drop a second or two a lap just based on software calibration. And the new V2 is way, way better than V1 based on everything I'm seeing. Like massive improvements. And, and maybe for people who are watching and who are interested in going to Tesla Corsa, you could let them know how to do that or website to go to something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, teslacorsa.com is the website. Uh, our goal this year is to make it international and to do events around the world. It just takes a little bit of uh, coordination to get it done. So right now we're uh, preparing for event number nine, which is in April, uh, also Button Willow. And then we have a pretty aggressive plan for 10 and beyond. But the main goal for Tesla Corsa, if I were to give it you know, a quick pitch, is uh, it's a friendly environment, whereas Tesla is only on the racetrack. And that's the part that's very unique. Anyone, by the way, around the world can go to a track day event, drive their car, and I recommend they do because it's a really awesome way to learn about your own driving skills, to become a better driver, and to see what your car's potential can be without you know, ending up in jail. Um, but, uh, but in terms of Tesla Corsa, it's unique in the fact that, I mean, it's unique as, as a spectator because it's dead silent. All you hear is wind and tire noise, uh, but it's unique as a driver because it's a friendly environment. And I think a lot of people maybe want to go to the racetrack, is my hunch. They want to go to the track, but it feels scary. It feels like maybe they're going to damage their daily drive car, that they're going to you know, be in this ultra competitive environment where you know, people are going to be you know, gunning for them because the Tesla's the enemy for the for the gasoline powered cars or whatever. Um, and what I wanted to do is just create a safe environment where none of those concerns exist, where a beginner can go out and learn their car, be amongst friends in the community, get to know other Tesla owners, just have fun in a safe way. And then we have a beginner group and an advanced group and people can graduate out of the beginner group, which is meant to be just about safe and fun and go into the advanced group, which is still safe and fun, but a lot, a lot faster and for the more experienced drivers. Um, it, but yeah, my, my belief is if you have a track full of Teslas, it makes it more accessible and makes it more fun and builds the community. And my point of view from the beginning with Unplugged and Corsa is about building community because the one thing I've learned 20 years plus in this world is that uh, uh, things like this podcast, for example, um, the community is is as important or even more important in some cases than the car itself. Uh, you know, I've been very close in the GTR community because that was my background. And I have so many friends that I've met there and so much commonality. And, you know, from a from a personal level, um, I find that, you know, the world is oftentimes much more divided than I'd like it to be. And uh, when I travel the world for work, it doesn't matter where I go, you know, or what, you know, religion or political background or cultural background someone has, if you enter into it with a common point, uh, everyone's instantly the same. It's a great equalizer. So in the case of car culture, uh, I think the fact that it brings people together is more powerful than the car itself even. I think that's really a lot of what drives me uh, on a daily basis. I mean, making cars fast is cool, but uh, I think there's a lot of unity and a lot of healing that 
especially now the world's so screwed up in so many ways, I, I think these things are great that people can can be on the same page instantly and remove all the variables and, and connect on the same passions, whatever it may be. In this case, it's. Thank you, Ben. And that, that actually brings up an important point that I wanted to ask Randy, because uh, you have such a history with gas powered cars and racing and a lot of enthusiasts follow you and may, maybe they're only interested in, in gas cars. So, uh, I mean, how do you think, uh, what, would, what would you say to them in terms of uh, having an interest in electric cars, especially Tesla's now with track mode? I mean, you know, showing them that it is just as fun or maybe even in some cases more fun. I mean, maybe you can tell them a bit about your experience on the track, what maybe the one we had together as well. Easy. Drive a Tesla. <laughs> the same experience I had. The first time I saw one was Model S. Kim Reynolds, the technical director at Motor Trend, had one a few years back. And um, they were kidding him about it, and we were all interested in the range. And I personally had no idea of the performance potential. But he drove up in it, and I opened the door and, and looked in it, and I got in it, and I thought, this is a real car. I, I've just seen, going back pretty far now, uh, other electric cars and electric car projects were very weird and they were minimal and they looked funny and they had stacks of lead acid batteries that weighed a ton and they'd only go for 20 minutes and i mean everything was wrong with them plus i i hate to admit i knew the car was built in america and i thought and it was new. I just heard about it. I, I, I knew the, about the Roadster just a little bit. It was kind of based on a Lotus Elise, am I right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know much at all. I, I saw a dealership in Boulder, Colorado. That's about it. And <laughs> so here comes this car. And I got in it and, and just immediately had an impression of quality and style and this thing didn't look strange. It, it looked better than the other cars we had sitting around. I mean, in terms of styling and interior design. And then I drove it and started to discover what electric torque feels like at that level. <laughs> and the same thing happens when any normal person, any gas person drives a Tesla because it's such an exceptional electric car. I guess even the Priuses, which are, are have been so popular, they're still funny looking. And I think they're funny looking on purpose. But And then Honda built an electric car and they made it look exactly like a Prius. And I was incredibly disappointed in that. But a company that was always so famous for its innovation would do a total copycat styling job on a Prius. It's almost like they don't want people to buy those cars. Well, on yep. the other hand, you look at that, which one is it? Is that the Insight or the one after the weird-looking two-seater? <laughs> mm, yeah, I can't, I can't remember exactly what they I called it. They yeah, might call I know it what you're an Insight, about. but it, you know the one. It looks exactly like a Prius. So there was still all this weirdness associated with electricity, uh, and they were hybrids. And this, when I first saw the Tesla, I think was about or just before the time that hybrids became the high-performance cars. And then we came into the era of the 918 
Porsche and McLaren P1 and the um, LaFerrari. And all of a sudden, the fastest cars in the world were hybrids. So there's this little message. Hmm, dude, I think there's something to this electric thing besides just good gas mileage. And then this <laughs> driving the Tesla, the it's a convincer. It, the instant torque, the refinement, and actually, honestly, I think it's much easier to build an electric drivetrain that feels refined than a, a petroleum-powered one because there's little to no vibration. And I'm sure they've done, had a lot to do with that at, at Tesla, but it just felt like something that was just... Um, polished and worked on and forever and but Tesla was still new and they were this little tiny company at the time compared to GM or Volkswagen still are and the, the just the the level that the car was built to blew me away uh, from the moment I opened the door and I think that'll be the case for gasoline people if they ever drive a Tesla. It's it's kind of hard to deny, isn't it? Um, which I think might be interesting to discuss a little bit is, uh, I think I think the world knows now that to be competitive at a hypercar level, you have to have some degree of electrification. And I think we all know that the Roadster is trying to make the statement that it doesn't need to be some degree, it can be full electrification where you don't need any gasoline to be competitive at the highest level of hypercar. But if you go backward, and you look a little bit, uh, there's an interesting discussion, I think, in terms of how these cars have evolved in driver level of engagement. For example, before electrification came into play with hybrids, it was still such where uh, a manual transmission car couldn't put down effective lap time. So it had to become a dual clutch sequential transmission or something along those lines. Uh, for example, the Porsche GT3 RS, they won't even offer that in a six-speed because it's actually a slower car. So what we've seen, if you go backward on this path, is that uh, more electronics are integrated at every step of the way to be competitive in racing. So first, it's kind of the death of the manual. Then from there, it's a necessity to have hybridization and electrification. And now it's going to full electric. And what's interesting as a car enthusiast, and what I struggle with a little bit, is the faster the cars get, the less driving people do in the respect of like working for it. I mean, granted, there's always going to be the right racing line and the right technique for racing, but the variables of being concerned about, about torque and RPMs are removed mostly by having this hybridization and the concern about, you know, shifting and double clutching and all the stuff that, you know, drivers used to do and still do it to some respect is, is removed. Um, so how do you balance this kind of age old question amongst car enthusiasts of, something engaging and fun and analog versus the requirement that everything has to be digital to be the fastest in the world, which is already where it is right now with hybrids and soon where it'll be with the Roadster, where even a gasoline engine is a disadvantage and everything is digital. How do you think about that? Well, electronic controls, uh, like stability control, traction control, uh, and uh, anti-lock brakes, uh, self-braking, emergency braking in cars, all these electronic controls were incredibly annoying when they first showed up. And then they get better and they get smarter. And it's to a point now in gas-powered cars where I drive the car, I enjoy it, you know, it was a wonderful experience, I park it and I think to myself, 
was that all me? Or, or were there electronics? <laughs> Work driving the car, and now they're so good I didn't even know it. And what that tells me is that electronic controls are not the end of fun. It's not the death of driving enjoyment. Now, it's, it's less driving involvement, but I think that's just part of, part of progress of technology, right? Uh, when you drive a car, you're less involved than you are if you ride a horse. I know because I rode a donkey two days ago, and at two miles an hour, it was, it was thrilling and scary, and I didn't feel like I had control, which I didn't, not much. Well, I, I will say one thing, which is that Track Mode V2 did something which I didn't expect that is amazing, which is they gave power back to the driver, and they allowed right. the driver to remove traction control, remove the nannies, and have fun. And that's the one thing that I think we should all cherish as drivers is the ability to to get into a little bit of fun and a little bit of danger in a closed environment and not have the car do everything. Uh, there's always a balance of how much. And personally, I wonder when the Roadster comes out, how much they'll allow of that freedom. And originally I thought with the car with that much power, from a liability standpoint, there's always gonna be safeguards in place because you can get in way too much trouble with that kind of power. Uh, and that's, there's kind of a discussion of freedom as a driver that comes into play here. And uh, I'm actually pleasantly surprised how much freedom Tesla has given drivers on the track with V2. Uh, and I hope that continues because that's half the fun as well is, is going past the limit of the car and learning car control and not having all these things save you, uh, but then being able to when you want. It's actually a really good point, Ben. Um, but I would say, you know, as someone who has never been on the track before, maybe I'll, you know, what? come next time Blast or something. <laughs> yeah, I need to. But, you know, the flip side of that is that for me, for a beginner, you know, it's really easy to get started and have the car help you. And it's interesting with the Roadster. I know Elon had talked about kind of this augmented driving mode where it's literally like a combination of you and autopilot and the Roadster's actually using like its computer vision and everything to help you make these insane maneuvers. Um so, you know, that'll be pretty interesting to check out. I think, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the Roadster will have, you know, some really great stuff like that for, you know, people who want to take control, but also like really take kind of the assistance to a new level as well. One of the things we were talking about last weekend, uh, I think, Soft, you and I talked about this, maybe. I know I talked to someone about it, um, is the idea that the technology integration is so good on these cars and especially with autopilot and track mapping and track mode and everything else that there's no theater there's no theoretical reason why tesla couldn't make a training mode for the car where they basically have the the uh track mode combined with autopilot basically drive a perfect lap and then train you how to drive that perfect lap in your own car so i think these things can be coming or will, will be coming at some point i see i see no reason why they can't and to your point of view, you know, there's always a learning curve, but it'd be really interesting if the car showed you everything perfectly with your hands loosely on the wheel where you can kind of get a feel for it and then mimic it and then turn all those nannies off and do it yourself. Ben, I think we're I got getting it. to that point. I got it. You, you can have a ghost car in your heads up display. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were talking about that, too. We're talking about AR glasses and the idea of having a ghost lap overlaid visually while, while you race and trying to keep up with that. It's all coming, I think. Yeah, Elon told me when we were talking to him that in the future, autopilot would be like a stunt car driver. Like that's <laughs> yeah. how good it would be. 
<laughs> that's the problem, and that's that's the challenge for for uh, uh, driving. Is you know, for example, there was a video. I who was it that put it out? Um, uh, I think it was Neo. There was a video a couple years ago of an autopilot team doing uh, a lap at Coda, uh, fully autonomous, with no one in the car. And this is kind of the 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 debate that we're heading towards is just like how analog cars have gone away in terms of competition, what happens when the driver goes away in terms of competition? It becomes a, a coding platform for engineers to take hardware and software and run the fastest laps. Is that even fun? It's fun I for coders. You, but I know exactly what, what happens. Exactly what happens. Disney World, where you sit in a car and if you turn <laughs> the wheel, up. It's, it's on a I'm rail. I'm right now. <laughs> it's on a rail. It's going around. And you, at some point, the driver's going to realize that the driver is not in control of this thing, that something else is. Yeah. And that's why I hate stability controls, because I yeah. want to drive. That's why I'm here. And I am the stability control, and I'm 98.3% capable. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, but uh, you know, there are people who want and, in fact, need stability controls. And we have these greater cultural and entertainment questions, I think, about, about risk. And about risk, what risk does to your brain, at least my brain, that's part of what I like about driving cars fast, or I, I like to ride motorcycles fast. I'm not a cruiser. And the reason is it turns my brain on, and nothing else does turn it on fully like that. And so if we want to enjoy driving cars, we have to have enough control and in a track format, even risk to to turn on the part of the brain that is only inspired by things on that level, if, if that's what we want. And if a car can totally drive itself, I'm not interested. It's not, I, it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting. Actually, for one, I'm not sure I'd trust it, at least not the first lap. <laughs> but two, I want the personal experience. I want to feel those juices flow through my veins that come from my control. I don't want to watch, right? The, even though you're sitting in the car, you're really watching this happen. It's spectating. I don't want to spectate. I want to play the game. I want to be the guy doing that. I don't mind if there's safety limits because I don't like crashing. Crashing's terrible. But at some point, that risk is part of the entertainment. Definitely. Yeah, I think I think some of us are more kinesthetic and spatially oriented. And I think being able to drive the car and control is definitely part of it. I teach skiing. And if I had somebody or if my skis were controlling me, it would not be fun. <laughs> it's all about making the right decisions as you get on the curve and the speed and going. And that's exciting for sure. I think one of the things Randy said, Randy is, I think, talking from the adrenaline side, but the other side is a meditative side where I, I think, you know, we're always trying to multitask and we're so five different places at once. And one of the nice things about any of these sports is that you're in the moment. And it's in some ways, like I, I try to practice mindfulness-based meditation, but if you're on the track and you're thinking about work, you're not doing a good job. You need to be focused on driving and you will be. It's actually hard to think about anything besides being in the moment. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing, even regardless of, you know, the adrenaline and the, and the risk, just being dedicated and mentally present is something that is uh, even more rare now than I think ever in history. So it's good to hold on to those things. Yeah, that's so true. I completely agree. And I know, you know, I'm not like a professional driver or anything, but I'm, I have, you know, 
meditative. That's exactly the right way to put it. Like it's an emotional kind of visceral experience just being on the road with your car and, you know, through your day, just having that moment where you're just focused on one thing, which is my brain needs to be on, you know, what's happening in front of me. I can't be thinking about work. I can't be thinking about my issues. And, you know, there's something really special about that culturally, I think, which is why I love, say, the approach Tesla's taking, which is turn the, you know, driver assistance on when you want it. If you want the car to help you drive, that's fine. If you want to drive it yourself, go ahead, take the wheel and let at it. Maybe even put it in track mode if you want to turn off stability control and that kind of stuff. As opposed to what some other people are dreaming of, like Waymo or Cruise, where you're basically sitting in the back seat, uh, letting this computer drive you around. That's not for me. I think freedom is the name of the game. The fact that you can do both and that Tesla gives you both options is so valuable. And, you know, one of the things I'll say, uh, you know, when we do Tesla Corsa events, whenever we set a lap record or something along those lines, is I'll joke about the fact that the car can drive to the track on autopilot, put down a record lap, and then autopilot back home. And that duality of the car is really cool. The fact that it's a driver's car, but also it's like an efficiency generator with your life because, you know, autopilot makes you more productive at other things because it does most of the work for you. So you can have you can have your cake and eat it too in that respect. I think it's it's great, and I hope it always is that way. I hope Tesla always allows you know full traction control off and autopilot. That duality is awesome. That this brings up an important point. I think maybe not a lot of people are thinking about it, but the whole thing about the track. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's fun. It's extreme. We can push these machines and our ability to to the the maximum. But everything that the car learns, the data that's acquired, is going to make the car safer for the street. And it's going to help these corner cases that may not happen, these extreme conditions that may happen on the street, but not, you know, rarely. I mean, we're pushing it to the limit on the track every time, right? So the AI is going to learn from that. It's going to be able to help, you know, the street driving autopilot in the future. So there's definitely a value for autonomous driving, but it, it, we're a big component of that, right? So the car can't become the best it can be without us helping. And even with all the driver assistance, when we can fine tune it now with version two, that's going to help us become better drivers and get more out of the car with our ability, right? So it's not just the computer doing it by themselves. They need us just as much as, you know, we can make use of, of these uh, these new features. For now. For now. I would say enjoy your relevancy while you can. I have a question for... Sure. Go ahead, Gala. For, for someone who, like, I, I totally don't get track mode, and I, like, am, and so part of, and we always talk about, like, the mission of Tesla, like, to accelerate the transition off fossil fuels. So as someone who just doesn't get this world, I'm curious, like, why is Tesla focusing on it? Like, because they're clearly working on track mode, like, they have the track mode package. Is it because it helps the autopilot data, or is it just be, there's some sort of art form of driving, or, I don't know, I'm just really curious about, like, why? I, I can answer that question. So... <laughs> You know, it's exactly like what Randy said, right? You can talk about wanting to, you know, clean up air pollution or reduce emissions, be clean and all that. But humans do not make decisions that way. If somebody enjoys driving a gas powered car, if they enjoy, you know, taking it to the track and they love that, if that's an important part of their life, they're not going to sacrifice that because they want to generate less emissions. So a really important part of Tesla's brand from the beginning was saying, no, this is a car that 
can replace that car. And we're going to attack it from a performance angle. And really all this work that Randy is doing and Ben is doing, you know, just kind of promoting this culture of electric performance, it really, it's part of the history of electrification. You can't get every car electric without hitting all the use cases for gas cars, which is road tripping, but it's also taking it to the track, having fun, enjoying the performance. So, I mean, I would say the performance aspect of EVs is really what kind of tipped the needle towards electrification um, and, and Tesla's role in that, yeah. Yeah, that question sets up the entire purpose for what I've been doing for the past seven years because I, I, I think ultimately we all want Tesla to succeed and we all want electrification to, to spread as fast as we can. That's a common mission that we all have with Tesla. And for that to work, you have to basically defeat every case, whether it's mainstream or fringe, that separates why not be electric. And uh, when we started, some of those cases were already defeated early on, but the case that wasn't defeated early on was, is a Tesla uh, as fun to drive, as much of a car enthusiast car, as fast on track, is it as custom? And we were looking to get people back in 2013, all the way through to now, to give up their Aston Martins, their Porsches, their GTRs, and to move into Teslas. And what we can do that Tesla can't do is focus on this individualization and specialness factor of the cars. Tesla's mission is to make cars as efficiently and as fast as they can because the global demand is far more than their production capacity. So they basically have to crank cars out as fast and as cheap as possible. And what we've seen back from 2013 up until now is a reduction of options less color options, less interior options, because that drives efficiency. And what we do, our business model from day one was, we thought of ourselves the same way that AMG operates in Mercedes, which is uh, there has to be a high-end passionate component that may be less efficient. There has to be more options for custom interiors, custom exteriors, wheels, brakes, higher performance, because if you don't offer this, if for Tesla it doesn't make sense because it slows them down from their mission. But from our side, it makes sense because if you don't offer this, you're leaving this whole market out. You're leaving the market out of the BMW M5 owner. Back when we were doing the Model S, that was kind of our target customer was an M5 driver or someone with an Aston. For the Model 3, you're leaving out you know, the, uh, the uh, AMG C-Class and the BMW M and the Audi S4, RS4. And all of these people, if you want to sell cars to them, you can't just win on one category of efficiency or price point or technology or autopilot or or you know aiming your farts on the back seat. Uh, you know uh, all all of these things are cool, but there's going to be holdouts that are true car enthusiasts. So what you what you set up for your question is basically our entire business model and our mission, which is make this stuff cool to the hardcore car enthusiast that otherwise was on the fence. And every year we go at that as hard as we can because we know that uh, it's a necessary component to win the entire category across the board. And I think Tesla would say the same thing with the Roadster is they're, they don't wanna leave any opening for any gasoline powered car anywhere. So the Roadster is basically chasing after, as Randy said, the 918, uh, uh, you know, the LaFerrari, um, uh, all, all of these levels of million plus dollar cars that still rely on gasoline. And as you defeat all of these roadblocks, then who's going to say anything compelling as to why not go electric? There's no options left. Like electric wins in every category. 
Well, I want to say two things about performance at Tesla. One is the why is why is the why was the Model S like the first real car Tesla? Why was it so powerful? Is is that just a result? My point is the the behavior of the drivetrain and the power of it draws enthusiasts. It draws people that are performance oriented. And then the other thing is, the first Tesla I know about it was the first Roadster, right? That was called a Roadster. It was based on a Lotus Elise, a wonderful little sports car. So somebody at Tesla, probably Mr. Musk, is interested in performance automobiles. And I think that that was already there. And Ben recognized it and said, you know what? I can make money there. There's a, there's a, he saw the potential and bravely charged into it. <laughs> and I, I think that Elon's a, is a performance car guy. Well, yeah, he had, a McLaren, he had that McLaren that he crashed. Yeah. <laughs> can you guys answer for me why the Model S, or is the Model S, or was it, whatever, was it so fast because it had so much battery for range? Or was that a deliberate choice to make the car so bloody fast in a straight line. The fastest car model, um, motor trend has ever tested in the <laughs> zero to 60 and yeah. quarter mile. Yeah, I think it was totally deliberate. What? Completely. You do? Yeah. Uh, well, because, I mean, Elon's always talked about doing, the, especially with the Roadster 2, the, making the ultimate smackdown to any gas car. It's, it's got to <laughs> be in every category and, and like to draw people in. So. Yeah, the signature Model S was was like a P85, uh, which had a high power inverter, so you could go zero to sixty in four point two seconds, right? So that was um, that was the first Model S they came out with. But it wasn't. I mean, you didn't have to get that configuration. There were other ones with with smaller batteries and everything. Oh, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was the the performance. Now it's down one. to two point four seconds. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Motor Trend showed it with the pre Raven. I think they got it even quicker than that. It was like two point wow. three or or 2.2 even, 2.2 something. The easy answer is that Tesla has had, rightfully so, a conviction that the technology is superior. And it's superior across a lot of different forms. But one of the things that makes it superior in this aspect is the fact that it can be, uh, well, for one, updated over the air. It's so much software driven. Um, and that is a huge competitive advantage. And yeah, when the Model S came out, it was fast, but it got so much faster with so little changes. You know, the car itself is largely the same. They made a couple changes here, a couple changes there, and suddenly the car is able to beat, you know, what every production car known to man pretty much, zero to 60, or very close to That's it. Right. Um, and I think that was baked into the pie long before they even sold the first Model S, which is the fact that the technology has an inherent advantage. And when they can enable that advantage depends sometimes on, you know, a, a material science breakthrough or on economies of scale or on software programming or whatever it is. Uh, but there's an inherent advantage in the software. And, and case in point, track mode version two. Um, track mode version two, they could have rolled out day one when the Model 3 launched. There's no reason they couldn't. It just wasn't a priority for their, for their staff resourcing to roll that at that time. But all the capabilities of updating firmware giving this crazy advanced traction control system, user interface capability where you can monitor things, where you can dial it up or down depending on your driving skill. All of that's baked into the pie. You can go back to the Model S. There's no reason they couldn't have done most of that stuff back in 2012. Um, and it's because the platform is, is a better platform for 
uh, innovating in every category. And in particular, because everything's connected, it's like the, you know, it's like the IoT of things, but for cars, uh, you can manipulate every aspect of it over the air. Uh, and good luck to anyone trying to keep up with that. You just can't. The, the platform is just superior. Well, Ben, there is one reason. There is one reason you couldn't do that on the first Model S. Overheat. That well, was a huge problem. That, when I first tried the hot lap problem. one, yeah. I couldn't do three corners. So I'd, mm. I'd come across the start finish yeah. line at the, the, let's call it the start. Wow, this thing hauls. <laughs> Go around the first corner. Whoa, yeah, it feels good. You know, it doesn't feel heavy. Yeah. That yeah. low center of gravity with the batteries in the floor. I come down to the third corner, come roaring out of that, and then, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I genuinely, I didn't know whether it was the car was not able to put out the power or somebody at Tesla knew where I was and what I was doing and hit a switch <laughs> and turned it off. But I believe it was the overheating, right, Ben? Yeah, the Yeah, but that's, the that's long since resolved. I mean, that's just another, right. you know. But I mean, that's why they couldn't do it in 2012. I'm so curious about this because it, it seems like the Nürburgring Plaid Model S, they even significantly improved the cooling and that was like the key breakthrough versus the current one, or that's kind of my interpretation. I'm curious if, if you guys have any like insight into that because it seems like that's a big clue about the new technology of the, the Plaid powertrain is the cooling's a lot different or somehow better. Yeah, there Randy, is... if you got your hands on that car, where, what would you do with it? <laughs> the Plaid? Yeah. I'd go break lap records. <laughs> oh, I know. I'd take it to Pike's Peak, Soph. Yeah, I want to run a Tesla. Yeah, I want to <laughs> run a tech. I want to run a Tesla at the Pike's Peak hill climb and set the fastest time for any production car ever. That's what I'd like to do. Um, one of the many reasons is that at what are we uh, nine to fourteen thousand feet, the oxygen is very thin. It's hard on those poor gas engines. Yeah, it's a big advantage. But the electric motor does not care. It is fun to haul up fast. <laughs> it's kind of shocking. <laughs> it's the best time to pass somebody going up a hill because you know that they're not going to be able to deal with it. It's yeah. <laughs> odd. But yeah, for 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 plaid mode, um, to, to answer the question, it's it it's always a matter of whatever's the weakest link in terms of engineering. So if there's one thing that overheats. You solve that and there's something else that's the weakest link and you solve that and there's something else and it goes on and on. So uh, it's it's a number of factors, but the, the reason for the record at the ring, I don't believe has anything to do with cooling, although cooling is certainly important. You know, that, that lap is sub eight minutes and we can run cars at Tesla Corsa with current technology full out for 15 minutes and you don't have cooling problems. Um, but, you know, that car has got all kinds of prototype tech that, you know, will be rolled out hopefully later this year. Um, I, I would assume it had an advanced version of track mode version 2 back then. Uh, has gobs of power, has a lot of engineering on suspension, on aerodynamics. Uh, there's, there's quite a lot of uh, advantage of that car. Uh, and plus, they, they built it for, for that purpose. Um, and if you build a car for a singular purpose, you can, you can squeeze a lot of potential out of it. And I think they just wanted to stick it to Porsche. Uh, and they did. They did a hell of a job of, of doing that with a very heavy car, which is not easy. Um, but it, it's, you know, when you get into to lap times, as Randy knows, it's impossible to distill it to, to one product or one thing. Uh, it's really about the overall balance of the car and making everything about the car improve for whatever that purpose is. So it's really hard to say, 
uh, a fast lap was because of, of X. Um, but when you have the right balance of tuning and the right balance of approach and you address whatever the weak points are in the right way, that's where the capability comes up and that's when you hire Randy to go break records. Yeah, so Randy, would you consider getting a Tesla in the future sometime? And I know you're also into bikes and unfortunately Tesla doesn't make motorcycles, but an electric EV would be pretty compelling. I mean, maybe maybe one day we could convince Elon because you could you would imagine a, a Tesla electric Tesla motorcycle would be the safest motorcycle on the planet, right? Um, Probably I mean, uh, Harley is now making electric motorcycles. Yeah. Maybe oh, yeah. Yeah. did you know that song? Getting in a big way. Yep, I knew that. And uh, yeah, I, I are they the Zero company? I, I rode a Zero about yeah. a year ago. I but I guys, do you know if it was Zero that Harley bought? I don't know. No, I think they're doing their I own. Don't. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that they bought anybody. Like, yeah, I think yeah. they're doing their own. Yeah, and it's actually a pretty amazing bike. And it's similar to the car experience. The instant torque and single gear is just mind-blowing. On the Zero I rode, they don't have room for a lot of battery. That's one area where a car is far superior to a motorcycle design in electricity. They're lightweight, but there's just no room for a lot of battery. Well, all this stuff is only a matter of time. As technology gets better <laughs> and economies of scale occur and packaging gets more you know, efficient and densities go up, uh, all this stuff gets solved. The fact that Tesla is already, you know, uh, able to beat everything at everything for the most part, this early on is fascinating because it only gets better from here. That's my, my true belief. Can I tell the story of a Motor Trend video? That sure. You, maybe you've all seen this. It's my favorite. They have the Model X. That's the SUV, yeah. right? Forgive <laughs> me. Tesla people. <laughs> we have a yep, Model X. When it was brand new, it's lined up on a drag strip. Next to it is an Alfa Romeo 4C. Oh, yeah. Which is a really one. cool Italian oh, sports car. I love this car. video. Yeah. I yeah, know what it you looks mean. like a baby yeah, Ferrari. We'll the lights come down. Yeah, the, and they take off. And what do you know? The Model X is pulling. It's getting out ahead of the 4C Alfa Romeo. Probably every Tesla person here has seen this, but <laughs> I just love it. As it pulls ahead, you see, oh, it's pulling a trailer. That's incredible. It's pulling a trailer and it's feeding the Alpha. And on the trailer yeah. is an Alpha 4C. It accelerates the sports yeah. car, yeah. towing the sports car on a trailer. And that's a demonstration of the power potential. And I just yeah. love that. It was, so creative and funny and and what the potential is just amazing so it sounds like you are a fan of tesla randy just from your enthusiasm <laughs> i am and i mean it's so cool that they're made right in the united states of america yeah, right here in california yeah, you, i would have figured or japan or, or <laughs> who knows <laughs> It was the United States of America. It blew me away. The, the first Model S, uh, from the moment I got in it, I thought, I just kept saying, this can't be. The, the, a bunch of guys in, in Fremont <laughs> built this? <laughs> I mean, it's so good. And then, you know, since that first car, it really is that good. It, it has, um, the time has told the truth that it's not just a flash in the pan. These are for real, and they're really good. Yeah, I can't wait for you to try the new Model S that's coming out at the end of the year. It's got three motors, two 
on the rear axles and one on the front axle. Yeah, we're going to try to get that car for Randy so he can compete Pike's Peak. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, we can only ask. So, yeah, so, so we actually got some questions from Twitter, too. Do you mind if maybe I ask a few of these? I'd love it. So uh, some people were, were asking about the uh, Cybertruck, too, and your thoughts on the Cybertruck. Because it has three motors. I don't think it has plaid mode. I think that's for S and X, but it's a tri-motor. <laughs> that's I mean, for have Baja. Have you seen that? That's for the Baja 500. For the Mint 400 and a Cybertruck, that would be cool. I have not seen one live. I like new and different and creative. And so the, the styling is the only thing that I really know much of anything about. And I love it because it's so outrageously different and yet it still looks good. And uh, beyond that, I don't know, I haven't driven one. Uh, I would love to, but yeah, I love the styling and electric torque is also great for trucks because it's so good off the line. It's so good at gets, getting something rolling, something heavy rolling. Like if you had a large load, that's why diesel locomotives mm -hmm. are diesel electrics. The diesel does not run the locomotive people. It's the electric motor. The diesel just generates electricity. Yeah. I love the Cybertruck as a, a topic of conversation because it's still, I think, very misunderstood. And I think there's a lot of secrets about it that weren't conveyed clearly up front. Um, I was, you know, we uh, at the at the debut of, of the Cybertruck, we actually had a cool event here at our office right before it. And then I walked over and saw the event. But uh, yeah, saw yep. you were here. Yeah, we did a Tesla yeah, driving movie and screened uh, Blade Runner in the parking lot, and then a bunch of us walked over to the event. Um, but, you know, the next day, I kept thinking about it, and it was so surreal, the whole experience, and there was so much discussion, and there was so much, I felt, negativity on day one, and you would see people's opinions evolve over the following week from the launch. But I woke up the next day and just wrote something to my friends on Facebook, which I called, uh, I think I called it Decoded, and I just tried to explain a little bit of what I, I felt I wish was communicated at the launch event that wasn't. And then the next day I thought about it some more and I wrote a part two. And still, like, I still think about the platform and I feel like a lot of it's misunderstood. And I, I don't know if it was intentional where the mystery helped with the PR and it probably did. But um, there's so many brilliant things about that platform that... I don't think Tesla is getting credit for because they haven't explained it in any kind of direct way. Um, and, you know, just a couple of them that come to mind, and I could spend an hour talking about this with you guys, but a couple that come to mind. Um, one, I think in this, taking it back a step, um, I think Tesla has such a huge advantage uh, with the crossover with SpaceX. And there's no other car company that has that. If you look historically, like uh, uh, BMW's logo is basically propellers from an airplane because the origins were, were with airplanes. No one has origins with space. Like how epic is that? <laughs> that you know you have a crossover of knowledge and engineering between a space company uh, and Tesla and they don't leverage it that much. But what's really interesting besides shooting a car to space, which is, which is pretty badass, um, but there's a lot more that can be done and um, I think, you know, watching uh, my friends at SpaceX who are also our neighbors and what they're doing with Starship and what they're doing with, with material science engineering and the stainless steel body, and then seeing any crossover and leverage of efficiency between the two companies is fascinating in itself. And I feel like 
the more that they leverage these advantages, the harder it is to keep up with them. And they literally recreated how a car is assembled uh, by doing this body that way and created an economic incentive where the more more production volume they have of this material, it drives down costs for both companies, for SpaceX and for Tesla, theoretically. So like, just if you look at just one topic, which is the exterior body, which is the most controversial thing, the, the thing that I wish was different is they, they presented the car as, here's a really crazy design from the future that's kind of like a retro future, a Blade Runner kind of thing. And what I wish would have come along with that is, here's why the design is the way it is. Because what I think it is, is Tesla's an engineering company assembled with the most brilliant engineer in the world at the top. And then he recruits the most brilliant engineers around him. And you have a car that is just utterly brilliant engineering. And then the design team has thrown a challenge of how do you, how do you package this? Because you can't shape it in a conventional way. But when you look at like the underlying reasons behind it, you know, uh, how much of a pain in the ass is it to paint every car all these different colors and go through all this process? How much time is saved just throwing out that entire part of, of car manufacturing and then getting the side benefit of having an indestructible truck? Like there's this there's this kind of uh, uh, cross correlation of different skill sets and ideas inside the Cybertruck where they have the market knowledge know how that pickup truck owners want like super indestructible, durable, beat the crap out of it for 100 years kind of trucks. But then they have the engineering science with SpaceX where they know that this material science is important for their future and they want to leverage it across Tesla. And then they have this issue of how do we make this thing cheap? And you throw away all the paint and body and then all of a sudden you find this cross section of, all right, it's more rugged than anything else. It leverages SpaceX material science. It's cheaper to make, it's faster to make. And by the way, like because we can only bend it in these shapes, this is the way it's gonna look. Um, but it was approached the opposite way of like, we think this is really cool looking, what do you think? I personally wish it would have been, this is the sickest engineering you've ever seen. Like it's gonna blow your mind and here's how it looks. Like the look is the byproduct of the engineering. And when you have a brilliant piece of engineering, it sells based on that and people can adapt what they think a thing looks like either way. Uh, because if it's better than everything at everything, get used to it. I mean, it could be, could be a shoebox on wheels and it wouldn't matter if it beats everything at everything people are going to want it yeah i mean i think they're you know there's a lot they're not telling us about the product tons i think that people will realize that over time when they see it when they start to see it used they'll understand the in engineering and the implications and they're okay kind of leaving a little bit to mystery because of course if everyone gets too excited about it they're not going to buy the cars for sale today but yeah, it's a really interesting point. And I think, you know, there's a lot more we don't know about Cybertruck yet. There's just so much potential uh, for the platform uh, in so many ways. That could be a whole, you know, completely different episode. It's an infinite amount of potential. And I personally <laughs> yeah. think that it could be a submarine, which is what I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> the submarine car was there, right, from the James Bond movie at the event. So it was definitely yeah. an inspiration. I think there's a potential crossover on that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they did a great job at that event. Just the event people setting it up. It looked great. It was an epic yeah, event. It really it was. It was the most amazing Tesla event I've ever been to. Uh, I've only been to two events, but it still was. Better than the, the, the truck and the roadster? I didn't see That's the roadster, unfortunately, but that would have been a, a, such a wow moment to see the, the roadster roll out of the back of the semi. That was so, that was so great. Uh, I have a bunch of friends uh, inside of Tesla, and before the event, we had an open house, and we had probably... 
40 engineers from Tesla come by and hang out at our office before. And uh, uh, they were they were so, so good at keeping this a secret where like they knew I was going to the event for the for the for the um, uh, semi. And one of my buddies just said, you're really going to enjoy tonight. And that was all he said. And that's so generic. I'm just like, all right, I'm sure I will. Whatever. I didn't think about it. And then, yeah, that was such a surprise across the board. Uh, and it was so cool that I got to, you know, uh, hang out with those guys who were, uh, some of them were on the team for that. And they were just, you know, so, so disciplined on siloing that. Like a bunch of people inside Tesla also had no clue this thing was going on. It was so secretive and they had it at a separate location that, you know, only a small team could see, uh, uh, Tesla's becoming very good at this, much like Apple is of having these big surprises and I don't understand how any company is able to do that. That's some crazy skill to be able to to build an entire car without anybody knowing. Like it's so complicated to build a car. It is. Yeah, it's not like a, a little phone that you can just hide in your pocket. This is like a car sitting out in the middle of the open, right? There's a lot of components that go into a car. Yeah, and it's big. And you got to test it somewhere. Like that car presumably was driven a lot of places before they drove it on the airport runway. So where were they doing the testing? Like how many months or years of this could they keep from anyone finding out? That is so hard. True. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the Cybertruck, the same. They had that footage of it at the streets of Willow. I mean, yeah. surely there were people around. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I think they were doing it. They're, they're masters at this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, we've been gone for an over an hour, guys. Should we do some closing thoughts? Uh, go around and about Tesla performance and. You know, maybe Omar, you want to kick it off? You're good at starting the ball rolling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So, you know, I think um, there are two really, you know, important things that we talked about. What Ben said and uh, what Galley said, you know, why are we getting into performance? And I think it's kind of counterintuitive because you think, okay, electrification is typically seen as something that's about efficiency. It's about air pollution, you know, maybe emissions. But it didn't, electrification didn't succeed uh, on those fronts. To really replace gas cars, like Ben said, we needed to attack all these niches. It needs to be the top performing car. And then we realized, like Randy said, well, there's actually some really powerful stuff about electrification. There's some serious advantages to electrification that can make it out to a gas car in many ways. So it went from being seen as something that's a negative for electric cars. Okay, well, you can get an electric car, but it's going to be boring. It's going to look weird. It's going to be slow. And it's going to be a compromise. You're not going to have as much fun. And people like Ben and Randy and a lot of other people, uh, people at Tesla who did this stuff, really proved that, no, electric is going to make our cars more fun. It's going to make them better. It's going to make them perform better than they ever could without electrification in many ways. And I think that's going to be a really profound part of the history of electrification is looking at how the electric performance aspect of it came in and how that really helped people realize, okay, forget gas cars. Electric is something that we really need to get excited about or we really should get excited about. And then the other really interesting point 
um, that Ben made was just how much of this is software, right? Traditionally, you know, tuning a car uh, or optimizing it for great performance has been about hardware. It's been about the hardware on the car. And if you wanted to make your car perform better, you usually had to take it in and, you know, make physical improvements to it. Now, you know, Ben's going to the track on Sunday, coming home and hearing on the internet, hey, guess what? We worked on some software to make your car perform a lot better on the track. And it's going to download that <laughs> on your Wi-Fi and it's going to perform better on the track. And yeah, you know what? And your car's if we in come the garage, up with, yeah, right? while it's in the garage, and you know what? <laughs> if we come up with something else to make it perform even better on the track, we're going to send that to you too. And I think that is—I mean, it, it's a new frontier in performance, software optimization, software tweaks, being able to save all those profiles. So yeah, I mean, it's really excited to do to see what Tesla is doing with performance, and I think they've really come back to their roots as a performance brand this year. With the Model 3 ramp, it was so much about just let's get the affordable cars out. But as that ramp has uh, has evened out and stabilized, they've really come back to their roots as a performance brand, and they always have been. And that's what's so exciting about Tesla. That's what sets them apart from everybody else is this isn't an electric car. It's the most fun car you could possibly drive. And it's exciting to see them push this forward in software and hardware uh, and the best is yet to come. We've got the plaid drivetrain later this year. We've got Roadster. Yeah. Yeah. It's if you're into, you know, performance and driving, Tesla's giving you a lot to be excited about. I want to chime in a little bit here. Um, so yeah, I mean, to, to kind of summarize, uh, from my point of view, I think car culture is all about the enthusiasts and I think technology attracts enthusiasts, uh, but you know, the competitive advantage Tesla has is as much us and people like us as it is the car. That's why there's no marketing budget and that's why they sell every car they can produce and have, you know, lines around the corner to, to sign up for these, you know, Model 3 launch. I waited in a line four hours and then waited in line a second time, another couple hours to get more. Uh, Tesla has all of this because of excitement. And I come from the background of how do I convince the most hard to convince hardcore car enthusiasts that this is where they want to be. And I'm at that extreme, but that's my background is I'm an extreme car enthusiast and I talk to other people in that world and try to convince them of this mission. So yeah, I mean, I, I think these conversations are really interesting and there's multiple aspects of it because you ask 10 different people why they love their car and you'll get 10 different answers. So the area where we've had our mission and continue to be laser focused on that mission is to do all the things that Tesla just can't do. One of the common questions that I get is, oh, are you guys better at engineering than Tesla? No, uh, we're, we're not better at engineering than Tesla. We're better at engineering things that Tesla doesn't want to engineer. Um, and the bottom line is that Tesla has to crank cars out as fast as they can. So therefore, they're not going to be differentiated. They have to be streamlined. And that's counterintuitive to me as a car enthusiast because I want a car and our customers want cars that are a bit more special. Um, so that's our ethos for what we do. We build custom cars around the world. We also sell parts, uh, but our main focus is making 
complete cars, Model 3, Model S, and Model X that have higher quality interiors, uh, that are all custom, whatever color you want, that have higher quality suspension that's more track optimized and fully adjustable, that have higher quality brakes that are more fade resistant and better on the track, that have redesigned exterior that look cool. We do uh, CFD, uh, basically functional engineering on aerodynamics, depending on the goal. The first parts we did actually uh, are designed around a range gain. Uh, so you actually can go further on road trips at high speeds. And our new round of parts this year are more track oriented around downforce and making the car go faster around the track. Um, we make wheels, we make every aspect of the car. When you look at an AMG Mercedes versus a base model, those differences are what we do for Tesla. And the reason we do it are all the discussions that we had. I think car enthusiasts that are really into their cars love Tesla and love all of the engineering and electronics and all the free updates and making the car faster on track. And we do all the things that Tesla, I just don't think fits their model as far as being efficient. Our stuff is hyper inefficient. What, what, what we do takes a lot of time. And what they want to do is make a car in two seconds flat. So, uh, and I think both have to exist. And uh, that's, that's, I think, uh, you know, it's been our ethos. Um, and uh, I think that's an important component of car culture is that you, you know, you can pick out your car in a parking lot and there's not a hundred of the same thing in the same color with the same wheels and the same everything. So uh, I'm, I'm grateful uh, of our relationship with Tesla and that we've done a couple things together in public and that we're neighbors with them. And uh, I'm really excited with where things are going. I think you know, as we all uh, have a consensus on, like, you know, I I'm seven years in for Unplugged, but this is just the beginning. Like, we're, we're just getting rolling, and Tesla's really just getting rolling now. So if things are cool now, I can't wait to see where we're going to be in another five years. It's going to be nuts. Yeah. And that's exactly why we started the podcast was just, you know, the Tesla community, the culture around Tesla, and just talking to people from across the community who've been involved for a long time, like you and everyone else. And um, you know, it's really kind of interesting, the Tesla community and kind of what you'll see, you know, written in the mainstream media about Tesla versus like actually talking to people who've used the cars and are part of that community. It's a pretty stark difference. Yeah, I wanted to just thank Randy and Ben for being on today. Um, it was really encouraging to hear the different stories um, and encourage the people who are listening to give test drives to people like Randy was was saying there's people that um like I was in a parking lot and this guy just bought a brand new Mercedes but then he looked at my Tesla and he wanted to come over and see my Tesla and I was just thinking if he would have just had a test drive he would probably have a Tesla <laughs> and he's going to regret the fact that his Mercedes is not going to it's not going to stand up to a Tesla over time so yeah I, I learned so much thank you guys for coming on the show um I like as someone who isn't into track mode this was just so cool and from the world i'm in as crazy as it sounds like people there's still a debate about whether tesla has good technology and how far they are ahead and whether like they even have anything that's worth talking about and then i hear people like you her industry you've driven all these gas cars you deal you were uh ben was saying you do gtrs randy you drive every single awesome gas car and to hear you talk so highly about tesla is like just makes me so pumped about the technology they're building and like you guys said how fast they're moving and like the roadster that they're selling for 200 250 grand is outperforming these multi-million dollar cars like this is it, it just really made that click for me so i thought it was so cool one quick thing just to interject there uh next week we're going to put out a video of uh, uh my buddy eric's car uh he goes by to eric on uh, or oh yeah of course we know him yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh 
to, <laughs> to the point you just said, the video we're putting out next week shows his Model 3 in Japan in freezing cold conditions running a second and a half faster than the McLaren F1, which is Elon's previous car. And wow. this is on street tires. So when you wow. see it, you'll see a picture in a picture of both cars and you'll see how they handle on the track. And this is with an amateur driver. It was 38 degrees. The driver never drove a Tesla before in his life before getting behind the wheel of this car. And he had probably a total of 30 minutes on the track and uh, beat the F1 time on street tires. And uh, the, re the reason I say that is it, you know, these are the stories people need to see to understand. Uh, the cars, even, and this is a street spec car. This is a car that, you know, uh, doesn't have racing slicks and doesn't have, you know, crazy downforce. It's a fairly normal car uh, and it can do that. So, and this is still early. Just check back in a year and it's not gonna be F1s that is beating, McLaren F1s is gonna be Porsche 918s and LaFerraris and stuff because we're, we're getting there quick. Well, Ben, did, did you say the McLaren F1 was um, Elon's former car? Yeah, he, did he crashed yeah. it. He bought one and crashed it. He oh, fixed it up though. It's a shame. There's not a whole lot of those cars in the world. Yeah. <laughs> actually, what happened? Was that car totaled or did it get rebuilt? It was totaled, yeah. I think it was a I while he ago. fixed it. Yeah, a long time I ago. I don't know. You can't scrap those cars. They're priceless. I yeah, think it was somewhere. easy to total it. I think it was totaled, and he says he only has like a Ford Model T and <laughs> something else now. We'll have to in ask. Terms of gas cars. <laughs> That's fascinating, but it, it shows, obviously, I was right. Elon is a car performance enthusiast, and the McLaren F1 is a very special one. It's my personal favorite all-time car. And uh, that's probably where some of this performance is coming from, because he's the big boss, right? And I've learned so much from Ben. Uh, Ben, you impressed me, man. I've, uh, I know <laughs> we've worked together before. I'm Im impressed. I learned a lot from you, your, your insight and your knowledge and your goals uh, for, for your performance company. And I do have this unique perspective, Gally. You're right. I, I'm in the petroleum-powered world, and I have been just blown away by the performance of Tesla's, and it keeps getting better. And I'm excited about what Ben said, that it's we're just beginning. <laughs> the wave's still building. It hasn't even broken yet. For So there's tremendous potential still, and everything's just going to keep getting better. And that's that's optimistic, too. Um, one thing that petroleum-powered cars have a tremendous advantage in is sound. But that's a petroleum-powered person's world. We, we grew up with it, or I did. And the sounds of these engines are really special to me. I absolutely love them. And yet, when I drove the Model 3 on that Tesla Corsa, I remember talking with somebody about the sound. And... I didn't miss it because of the power. <laughs> I was focused on the driving experience and it was still, it felt the same to me trying to get the most out of the car and and the the performance was strong enough that I was distracted. Do you think and it was even easier, like hearing what the tires are doing, feeling the car with the less vibration and stuff like that with the electric car? I mean, just curious, your perspective. Well, it's definitely easier to drive not having to shift or worry about gears, but I don't think that was exactly your question, was it? Uh, it's an interest, interesting. Well, I would say two things on this point. 
Number one, I like the ele- I like actually the sound of the electric motors. It's quieter, but it's kind of a nice futuristic sound. And then also I would ask Randy, what do you think about like the Porsche and other electric cars that'll actually play kind of a fake engine noise in the electric car? What are your thoughts on that? Because you can get that well, as a five hundred dollar option for the Porsche fake electric engine. I <laughs> actually like it. It sounds like. <laughs> Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica to me. And I like uh, having grown up with petroleum powered cars. I like having a sound tied to the throttle pedal and the acceleration. So uh, I'm, I'm a fan of that. Although in another aspect about the noise is more and more racetracks are getting in trouble for the noise they create. True. Laguna like Seca up there in the Bay yeah. Area, they have tremendous problems with that. When I first went to Laguna, there were no houses around it. But now that hillside across the valley is covered with high dollar mansions and they don't like hearing the cars all the time. Well, the racetrack was there when you moved in. <laughs> and yet they've got the, the political power and the, the numbers. So the timing is really right here for electric performance cars that help solve that noise problem when People like me want to go to a racetrack and drive fast. So that's actually a positive in that regard. Yeah, true. That's interesting. Yeah, you can take I'm the cool. back seat out, and uh, when you don't, when you have the roll cage in as well, you can hear the motor a lot more, and it, it does sound really good. Oh, uh, it does? It's like, it's like a turbo. Yeah. Yeah, I probably, <laughs> you probably heard that in, in Ramo's car, right, because he has no back seat. The, <laughs> which just set the lap record of Button Willow, 154. And a performance model three that that was incredible actually just on Saturday, before B two. Yeah, we're we're really excited about that. That's one of our uh, one of our product test bed cars, and uh, yeah, Remo and Josh crushed it last weekend. Yeah, they set the record for street tires and slicks. Yeah, I was actually in that session. Uh, sorry, Randy, that was actually I think your record for street tires that held up for for a year with our project back in March. But uh, uh, let's go back. Yeah, I'm you gotta ready. come back out, April. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. You can drive Already. my car again, Randy. And yeah, just on, on that note, I, I'll I'll mention my closing thoughts because I had such a great time with Randy. I think that was the second course of the day. I've been to every single one and I've actually been to extra track days because I, I just couldn't wait for Corsa before Corsa started. I took my um, my car with a, a, a different track organizer and uh, tried it out. And it was just incredible. I took a bunch of people with me that had never been in a tussle before out on track and they were just blown away. So I think this is the key takeaway not just for enthusiasts, but definitely that's going to spread the word, is we get people in the Tesla, they experience it for themselves, they drive the cars. This is, it's, to me, it's an addiction because I love it so much. I just want to get as many track days as possible because wow. I can drive how, how I want to. I can't do that on the street. And you get, really get to experience the full potential of the car, well, of my ability, right? So, And, and I learned so much from Randy. Uh, we, we were going to mention that before where uh, Randy actually did a hot lap with me in it and having that fresh experience of knowing what the car is capable of with Randy driving it, of course I felt invincible and pushed it a little too beyond my ability. <laughs> we <laughs> slid into the dirt and I remember Randy was just looking for where the window, <laughs> he's trying to pull the window up because we're sliding towards the dirt and then the dirt just piled in and covered Randy and I remember you spitting out the dirt and, and laughing <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so bad but Hey, you could have grew some plants down, in there. So. There was a lot of dirt. <laughs> there was a lot of dirt. I, I was going for the window. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? <laughs> it was yeah, 100 was miles an hour. That was big. 
Yeah. It was big. But it was actually partially the result of the fact that I only had one afternoon with the Tesla engineers when we did the performance package. Help me. Uh, the name is uh, track, track mode, Yeah, yeah Track mode. When we did track mode. And it came out a little too loose. And thank you for reinforcing that uh, I was right about that. <laughs> You're welcome. And so V2, and now that we have V2. Adjust it. Yeah, and you can adjust it. Yeah, we can I adjust. love that. So I can't wait to have you come back and drive my car and see the difference next time. Because it's still pretty much stock. And then maybe Ramo will uh, will let you drive his car, too. I think you faster yeah. than I'd his lap to. record. I'd love to. Thank you. Very sweet. Awesome. Well, thank you guys, everybody, for joining. I had such a good time today. It was like such a fun episode because this is, this is my passion, yeah. just taking the car out on the track. So fun. <laughs> we could talk for another couple of hours you know, about this. So, so anyway, thanks, thanks again for joining us. Uh, third Row Tesla, peace out, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye.